Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Houses of Worship. And in this series, we are exploring what the scripture says about the role or the place that uh, houses played in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts, and in the epistles, and what role houses or homes are supposed to play in the church of the living God today. We talked uh, last uh, lesson about Paul saying that as he was leaving Ephesus for the last time, that he reminded them that he had ministered to them and taught publicly and from house to house. And uh, I want to further nail that down, if you would. Uh, I'd like to demonstrate that in the cities Paul went to, the primary place he most frequently ministered was in the house he was actually abiding in. He would go into cities and people would in, in, invite him into their house as the Lord willed. And it that would be the focal point of his ministry in many different places. Uh, now, Acts 21 and 8 says this, And the next day, we that were in of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. and We entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. The implication was that they prophesied in their house. I added that. I'm reading again. And as we tarried there again, where? in their house many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Uh, and when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, that was his belt or the sash he wore around his middle, and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, that was a true prophecy. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, so those that were in the traveling company of Paul and those that were in that place, the, the believers in that city, uh, besought him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and break mine heart? For I am ready not only to, not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the Lord, the will of the Lord be done. Praise God. Obviously, Paul's regular pattern was to make whatever house he resided in the focal point of his ministry for that area. The one time that was not the case was where Paul was disputing for two years, uh, teaching uh, the two years in the school of Tyrrhenius in Ephesus. Now, I don't have any idea what kind of structure that was, uh, but he did teach in that school structure for two years uh, in Ephesus. He did do that. But his regular pattern in whatever city he was in, to was to minister in a house 
for uh, the length of time he was in that city. And that didn't mean he only ministered in that house, but that was the focal point of his ministry. In uh, one place, I guess that was Philippi, when we read about, uh, read or taught earlier from uh, about Philippi, uh, Paul, first of all, saw the the, the uh, harvest of the souls, uh, the Philippian jailer and whatever, but then he stayed there and ministered in the house he stayed in there for a year and a half. And that house was the house of Aquila and Priscilla. And even though after the Philippian jailer got saved, he uh, did go into their house and he did minister in their house, the implication is he continued to live at Aquila and Priscilla's house for a year and a half in Philippi. So that was in Philippi, and that's the length of time he was there. But in Ephesus, for two of the years he was at Ephesus, he ministered in the school of Tyrrhenius, whatever that was. I don't know what kind of structure that was. It was not a church building. Uh, it was a school. It was Tyrrhenius's school, and he apparently uh, surrendered it to Paul for the length of time he was going to be there. And uh, that was after Paul got kicked out of the synagogue there in uh, Ephesus. So other than that, Paul's normal pattern was to minister in houses. Years ago, it was the norm for visiting ministers to stay in the home of the pastor or one of the saints. One of the greatest spiritual experiences of my life occurred when two men of God stayed in our home as I was about to graduate from high school. I have no memory of what either man said in the church services at all but I vividly remember the impact that they had on me while staying in our house. It completely changed my life and my spiritual direction. The, the impact of their ministry on me took place in my family's home, and it still resonates within me to this day. Uh, it was May. Uh, I was about to graduate at the end of May actually the 5th of June of 64. And uh, again, back then, ministers uh, usually stayed with the pastor or if he didn't have the room, somebody, some saint in the church would let them stay with them. It was very, very rare that a minister and his family or co traveling companions was put up in a hotel or a motel. And uh, there was uh, two men from Texas who were traveling the East Coast doing what they called Sunday school seminars. And one of the men would do the preaching at night, and the other man would do the seminar sessions in the daytime. And uh, that man was actually the man who first designed and published the truth, the the uh, search for truth, uh, home Bible study chart. The other man's name was uh, Marvin Cole. I did not know Marvin Cole. Did not know of Marvin Cole before that time. But uh, even though that my dad was a sinner, he was an officer of the Navy at that time, uh, having joined the Navy the day after Pearl Harbor. 
and then working his way up through the ranks from a seaman recruit all the way up eventually to a full Navy commander before he retired in 30 years. But my dad loved preachers. He wasn't in the church, but he loved preachers, and preachers loved my dad. And so it was not, it didn't didn't even seem unusual to me then uh, that my dad would tell my mother to offer to have these two men stay in my house. Now, it had never happened before. Didn't happen after that, even though there were times that, especially times much earlier in my life when uh, ministers would come visit us at our house, but it's the first time that we ever had them stay at our house like this that I remember. And uh, I was your good traditional Pentecostal. I went to all the services. I paid attention. I was obedient. I did what the pastor said. I wasn't a perfect person, but I was a pretty good Pentecostal. Uh, I had received the Holy Ghost. I was now 18, a little after being 18. I received the Holy Ghost at age 12. And uh, uh, I didn't speak in tongues very much. I didn't read my Bible very much. I paid attention in church. I didn't really need to do that. I prayed in church, and I paid attention to my Sunday school teacher and to my youth leader and to the pastor and I got all the Bible I needed like that. I didn't know that was my attitude, but that apparently was my attitude. I rarely read the Bible on my own. Like most good Pentecostals, I rarely read the Bible, just like them. And I rarely did that much praying any more than I absolutely had to do. Uh, but I was a good Pentecostal, and I was saved because I had been I'd obeyed Acts 2.38, and I was going to church faithfully. Participated in everything. Prayed for people in the altar. Uh, People got the Holy Ghost when I prayed for them in the altar, even as a teenager. And uh, uh, participated in all kind of activities. Any call prayer meetings, I'd go to church and pray. Any called ministries and activities, I'd participate in all of it. I was a good Pentecostal. I had no idea what I was missing. Until this... uh, Little fella, and I don't mean that in any way derogatory, but I'm over six feet tall, and the top of his head barely came up to my shoulder. And he and the other brother stayed in our house. And as I've said earlier, I don't remember a thing they said in any of those seminar sessions or any of those church services. And I was in every seminar session, and I was in both church services. I don't even have any memory of recalling that at all. None of that. None of it. But uh, I remember a scene very specifically of uh, sitting at the table for dinner before church. My dad was sitting at the head of the table on one end, and he had requested for Brother Cole to sit at the head of the table on the other end. And... Uh, he asked Brother Cole to pray over the food. Just ask the blessing over the food. And I'm sitting there to Brother Cole's right. And I don't know what to think about all this. Because the man is simply asking the blessing over the food. And God moved into that room. God moved. I don't know if I'd ever felt God like that before. And That was our first meal together. They had just come that day, that afternoon. and This was our first meal, and we're getting ready to go to church that night. And 
my dad had asked Brother Cole to pray. And he prayed. He prayed. He prayed. And uh, everybody at the table was affected deeply. And so I knew something was different about this man. I, I'd had good pastors up to that point, good men, men I respected. But I'd never really been around like anybody like Brother Cole. I knew he had something I did not have. And uh, so for the next, uh, that was, I believe, was on a Thursday so that Thursday evening, all day Friday, Friday evening, all day Saturday, Saturday evening, Sunday, they left on Monday to go to their next uh, scheduled place. I, uh, I, I could not not pay attention to Brother Cole. There was no show. There was no put on. There was no. There was no uh, uh, look at me. There was no. There was no effort, conscious effort of his to attract attention at all. There was no flamboyancy. There was no drama. It was just the sweetest fellowship that he had with God all the time. He'd walk through the house, and I knew he wasn't doing it for our benefit. It was his life. It was his lifestyle, but he just walked from one room to the next, and he was he talked to God. It wasn't some big deal. It wasn't some big religious thing. He, he would just talk to God. And I was in rooms at times where he'd pass through. And I didn't know what to make of that. I didn't know you could talk to God like that. I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. And uh, as I've said already, other than the day I got baptized and got the Holy Ghost, I don't know of any other day that my life was more impacted up to that point in my life by God. And it didn't happen in a church building. It happened in a house. And I'm not saying there were never any services that had impact on me. There were a few. There were a few that I can remember to this day. Not many, but a few. I do remember the day that I I got baptized, got the Holy Ghost. I don't remember the message. I remember going to the altar because I'd been seeking for the Holy Ghost for three years. I started at nine and uh, so I don't remember what the preacher preached. was an evangelist there that night. I, I don't remember what he preached. I went to the altar not because of any conviction, but because that's what I did. That's what you do if you're a seeker. But the two young people that were praying for me that night, Brother uh, Chuck Carr, who was a young man traveling as a altar worker and helper with the evangelist, uh, and Sister Billy, called her. She was a young lady in our church. I prayed. They were praying with me. I started to get up and they uh, said, not tonight. You're not getting up tonight, Chester, without the Holy Ghost. And that was very memorable because I knew they meant it. And I remember thinking, well, if they believe I'm going to get the Holy Ghost tonight, then maybe I am. 
And it wasn't long after I finally made up my mind to have faith for receiving the Holy Ghost now, not receiving the Holy Ghost someday. I believed I was going to get the Holy Ghost someday, just not right now. And when my faith switched, faith switched from someday to right now, I received the Holy Ghost. And that was memorable. And I got baptized that night after I received the Holy Ghost. I remember that. I remember a, a service when I was five years old. Uh, my dad was away in Korea and my mother was at church and there was a lady evangelist. She had a cast on her uh, right hand and wrist down to about here. And she was holding the microphone and it was a wired microphone. She was walking back and forth across the platform saying, Jesus is coming. Well, I would, I'd been asleep. My brother, who's two and a half years younger than me, he was laying on the floor on the pallet, being the baby, he got the pallet. These were wooden, old wooden theater seats they'd bought from a theater and installed in this church. And I was curled around that with my back in there, my legs around this arm and my head around this arm with my head in my mother's lap. And something woke me up, something, right? And I woke up and my, this, I'll never forget that lady walking back and forth across that platform preaching and saying, Jesus is coming. And I was so, so moved on that day that my dad that I knew was a sinner, I knew he wasn't saved. And he was fighting in Korea at that time. Um, I prayed. It's the first time I ever remember really praying. I prayed wept and snotted until there was a big wet spot on my mother's skirt. And uh, I remember thinking, I've ruined my mother's skirt. My next thought was, it doesn't matter because Jesus is coming. But I wasn't praying for me. I never prayed one time for me. I prayed for my dad. I prayed for my dad. And that was 1951. And the Lord answered that prayer in 19, in December of 1979. But I knew the night my dad got the Holy Ghost that God had answered that prayer. So these are the three most memorable events in my first 18 plus years of life of being raised in the church. That's it right there. I'm not saying I have absolutely no memories of anything else, but not really of any church services. Not, I can't remember one message that any of my pastors preached. Not one. And I was a good Pentecostal, and I paid attention. I didn't cut up in church. I listened. And I believed what was being preached. I just can't remember any of them. But everything that Marvin Cole did and said in three days, three and a half days, about, in my house, in Oxon Hill, Maryland, Prince George's County, right outside of D.C., in May of 1964. It's just as real to me today as it was then and affects me just as much today just thinking about it. And a little over one month later, I started at the Naval Academy, and there was no church here there was no pastor to call because I'd had seven of them as a, a Navy family in our moving all those years of my eight, first 18 years of life. And I'm here alone, but I wasn't alone because 
There was the memory of a man in a walk with God that challenged me every day I was alone at the Naval Academy with no church to go to. His life was the sermon that was preached to me every day of my life. And it didn't happen in a church. It happened in a house. It happened in a church. It changed my life. I've never been the same person since. My focus has never been the same since. It was during those four years of the Naval Academy with nothing but the memory of these things, this living memory of those three and a half days, my experience with God then, that was so amazing. I found out later that when Brother Cole was leaving on Monday, my dad, who was very sensitive, very sensitive, he gave, I didn't know this for years, but he gave Brother Cole a 8 by 10 picture of me and requested Brother Cole that he would pray for me. And he did. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that. And he prayed for me. Four years later, I graduated from the Naval Academy Six months after I graduated, I'd gotten, I had met my wife and got married, got my local license, and began to beg God to get me out of my five-year commitment so I could preach. And uh, woke up one morning with a pain in my shoulder, just six months out of the Naval Academy. They kept me on active duty for a year and then medically retired me so I could begin to preach. 1st of September, excuse me, the 1st of January of 1970, I began to evangelize, and God wouldn't leave me alone. All I could think about was a city in Annapolis, Maryland, with no church. No way they could experience what I had experienced. And so I finally gave up and came here on the 12th of September. And I struggled mightily. I struggled mightily. I'd never pastored. I didn't realize my four years at the Naval Academy, I was actually pastoring people I won. I, I taught them, and they got saved, and I had to take care of them. I didn't know what that was called, but I, my church was my dorm room, and that's where they gathered to be taught and for us to pray and whatever. So that was my next experience in a house. That's where I got all my training in the ministry. I, I learned to flow in the Spirit and teaching in that dorm room. I learned to minister to people. I learned to take care of people who were saved in that dorm room, right there in that dorm room. It wasn't a church building. It wasn't a church building. And then we come here to Annapolis, and we start, and I don't have any experience, and all I've got is this passion, this drive for people to know him like I have begun to know him. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I struggled and strived and pressed and pushed for five years. Actually, I guess it would have been four years. And uh, we had a, our first real revival with a real evangelist then. Brother uh, Keith Clark came as our first real evangelist. 
we had others preach for us. They were good people, and they we had people get the Holy Ghost, but they that wasn't their their ministry, and they didn't come for a prolonged period of time. And so we uh, we had that revival, and uh, uh, God filled people with the Holy Ghost. But Brother Clark said to me, "You know, you 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 remind me so much of myself because I I pushed." So, spent so much time frustrated and pushing and trying to reach and learn and grow and know and couldn't until God connected me with a man and I'm going to give you his phone number and I'm going to let him know you're going to be calling him. His name was Hushera. And uh, it wasn't 24 hours after Brother Clark had moved on to the next revival that I called Brother Shara, and I could remember where I was standing in the little building we were using for services at the time when I called Brother Shara. And I introduced myself. I said, Brother Shara, this is Brother Chester Wright. Brother Keith Clark gave me your number, and I called because I'm hungry for God. And he blew me away with the first basic words out of his mouth. He said, do you know Marvin Cole? I was blown away. I'd only ever met Marvin Cole one time and had only spent three days in his presence and had never seen him again since to that point. And I said, yes, sir. He stayed in my house several years ago. He said, I know that because I feel the spirit of Marvin Cole on you. Well, I didn't know what that all meant back then. But what he, he felt, what was on me. A few years after that, in my relationship with Brother Shara, he told me, he said, I need to tell you a story. I said, okay. He said, a few years ago, Brother Marvin Cole brought me a picture. Brought me a picture of a young man. He told me the story of a young man that he met in Maryland many years before and how God had moved on him for that young man. I didn't know that. Brother Cole had never told me that. And he told, Brother Sheriff told me that Brother Cole told him that that young man's sinner dad gave me a picture and asked me to pray for that young man. And I've been doing it faithfully these years. But God has spoken to me to give you this picture. Because this ministry to this young man is going to be transferred to you one day. And it was a couple of years later, I'm on the phone with that man. And all that began in a house. I'm not implying great and marvelous and awesome things can't happen in churches. But you're going to have to forgive me for being so convinced of the potential for the kingdom of God, of things that can happen in our houses and in other people's houses if God just had a chance. If God just had a chance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for you and me that the grace of God would come upon us
the Spirit of God would move in our hearts and give us hunger for all of the things of God. We take all the boundaries off God and liberate him from every concept and structure that has kept us and him bound and the gospel prisoner to tradition that it would be set free and that we would be set free and that we would receive such a hunger for God and the things of God and the word of God and the ways of God and the will of God that nothing, nothing will stand in our way of becoming that and giving ourselves completely to God for that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit that Marvin Cole put on me that day, I pray on you right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray it on you right now. In Jesus' name, receive it. Let God give you that hunger to know him. Let God give you that hunger to to shake free of every shackle and every bondage of tradition and to have a hunger for God, for the word of God, for the truth of God, for the kingdom of God, and for his righteousness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray it is so. Let it be so. Amen. God bless you.